0: I wonder if you've got the guts to lead a big air force. If you haven't, I'll get someone who has.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, f- I felt that one was the, was the most appropriate.
0: I felt that, I felt that worked. <laughs> uh, yeah, you really were 2 spots. Just for one second, uh, uh, completely channeling the man. You had transformed. <laughs> <laughs> so welcome to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Um, uh, 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 the fifth part in our series about the Mighty Eighth and last week on the last episode we sort of hinted that this moment was coming because this is quite this is quite extraordinary in the last episode we talked about how the US 8th Air Force have undergone a sort of, they sort of shed their skin or grown a new tail or something if they were were they were they some sort of lizard of some some kind or they're a salamander been thrown into the fire and they've and they've emerged afresh or, or something you know Something some like such, that. some <laughs> such mythical uh, 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 re- rebirth has occurred. A phoenix arising from the from the flames. <laughs> yeah, from its near death experience. Um, uh, because because not only is there's been sort of change combing combing through the ranks by virtue of the c- incredible uh, colossal and all encompassing expansion that the Eighth Air Force have, has undergone in the months following Schweinfurt II and the sort of reborn thrust of what they're going to do into the new year of of 1944 but also there's been change at the top so as Ira has been has had to pack his bags and he's been replaced by the I mean the living legend that is Jimmy Doolittle but even a figure so colossal and undeniable in American aviation who else would you get in to do this job you could possibly deny him what he's trying to do and yet spots is having a moment's wobble isn't
1: he Yes, it's only the 24th of January. Uh, and if you think think Doolittle arrives on the 5th of, ja- 5th of January, so that's not even three weeks he's been in post. And already Spots is going, you know, I wonder if you've got the guts to lead a big, big air force. And this is because there's been a couple of times where they've all been sent out on missions and then recalled and Spots doesn't think that Doolittle is showing the relevant amount of... Application or ...press-on, yeah. application. You know, it's the press-on factor. There's not yeah. enough Guy Gibson in him. And, of course, this really, really stings Doolittle, who is a personal friend of Spots and, you know, is, is absolutely a, an aggressive air leader man
0: flew to tokyo for heaven's sake
1: it really hurts but these comments and and you, you get these flare-ups occasionally in high command are indicative of, of the enormous importance that's been placed on air power and specifically clearing northwest europe of the
0: luftwaffe yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and the pressure they're on they put themselves under uh, the, the yep.
1: huge pressure they're under because it is now going to be june but uh the overlord is going to be june but but it's you know time is running out you know they've got to clear the skies by the middle of april absolutely at the latest and the reason you've got to do that is because you then need a kind of nine-week period in which before d-day in which you can concentrate the bombers on blowing up these bridges across the seine and the loire and you know, marshalling yards and all the rest of it, which will be all part of the kind of slowing up the German ability to get to the bridgehead of Normandy once D-Day actually happens. And that's why you need the um, the air, the Luftwaffe clear of Northwest Europe because if you're doing that low-level precision bombing, it's worth just going through this again, if you're going to do that low-level precision bombing, you can't have fokker Wolfs and Messerschmitt 109s hovering above you because you'll just get absolutely destroyed. So this is why it's so important. The truth is, the weather over Europe. I've said it before. I'll say it again, <laughs> was dreadful in the winter of 1943, 1944. And that applied to a huge swathe of, of, of Europe. And in January 1944, most of north, northwest Europe was covered in snow and freezing conditions. But it wasn't that sort of beautiful, crystal clear days. It was it was lots of cloud. And as the as the Americans had discovered, their precision bombing wasn't anything like as precise as it needed to be when there was lots of cloud. You just couldn't see diddly squat. You needed to have visual eye contact on the target. And therein lies the rub.
0: Yeah, if they're getting anywhere, they're doing it on H two X, and and they don't call it area bombing. They don't call it blind bombing. They ha- they call it you know radar guided bombing, but it amounts to area bombing. And also, I mean, I think one of the one of the really interesting things about the, the American approach is because they are wedded to precision bombing. What they're not doing is building bigger and bigger mad bombs like the RAF have done. You know, the, the idea is you drop your you drop your standard bomb with precision on a on a Messerschmitt factory and you and you knock it out. And so what you don't need is the, the kind of munitions that Bomber Command have been developing in order to increase the bang for buck, because you know you're not going to hit your target or you've generalised your targets. You've accepted that what you're doing is bombing people.
1: But it goes back to that same old point we were making earlier, that that all these crews that are coming over, these new bomb groups and new replacement crews that are coming over, they're all training in the United States in crystal clear skies and um, over kind of fast flat areas of nothing. So it's comparatively straightforward to use your northern bond sites and, and your um, do actually visual navigation and drop the bomb in the pickle barrel. But it ain't so easy when you're over Europe and it's January 1944. And it's quite interesting because it, because although Doolittle's very stung by this, a few days later Spots goes, come on, you're coming with me and, and, and we're going to go in Boots and we're going to go and do a tour of the frontline units. And Boots is his own personal B-17, Spots' is B-17. And they head off and the weather's absolutely terrible. and. Most people, when you think terrible weather, you think sleeting rain and, and high winds and all the rest of it. That's not the problem. The problem is fog and mist and low cloud. No, no one can see anything. It's just like this huge shroud has descended over England, the North Sea, and Europe. And if there's one thing that's guaranteed to make everyone crash, it's a fog. And what happens is they take off and they just about make the first airbase on the list. And they come in and it's all a bit touch and go. But undeterred, they take off and um, and manage to make the second. But it's even more hairy getting in. The fog is, you know, the visibility is even less. And clearly they're kind of, you know, this is a a needless risk. And they have to abandon the third one. And afterwards, Spatz says, do you want to use your Spatz voice again? You were right, Jim. I see what you mean about uncalculated risks. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Coming to a cinema need you. <laughs> so the eighth is still going out on raids, but it's it, but it's, it's very much here and there, and hit and miss. And
0: you know, January passes, and there's still no obvious weather window for for, for Operation Argument. I, I mean, an example of of how bad. I mean, in September they bomb Emden blind with H two X, and it's it's a butt report level of of accuracy so that you know when the weather's bad you can't you can't hit anything and and the americans are judging their bombing offensive around their as much around their motives as their results aren't they they're not in this to the crews are not in this to just kill german civilians they wedded to the idea that they're doing precision strikes so you've got when it's not going that well, you've got to make it work. Is the is the simple truth? And if what you're trying to do is destroy destroy the Luftwaffe, you've got to make that work. Otherwise, the whole thing is a is a, is an empty exercise. Is is the yes. Truth. And, and
1: there's two points here. So operation argument. The whole point about operation argument is this is, is supposed to be a week or you know five days at least of very very intensive point blank targets. So deep into the Reich, hitting assembly plants, component parts, factories drawing up the Luftwaffe themselves into the scrap, all the rest of it. That's the point of Operation Argument. Now, the clock is absolutely ticking. April's not very far away. June is not very far away. And I absolutely can see the pressure and why they're all getting twitchy. And yet, (laughs) the longer they leave it, the more Mustangs there are, the more bombers there are, the better the weather's going to be, the longer the days, the the more the opportunities are there. And the better Fettel, the eighth... Army, 8th Air Force will be in to carry out this. And if they're saying, if they're saying we only need a week to do this, it doesn't really matter when that week is, whether it's March or February or January. The point is you absolutely have to hold your nerve and launch this week when the conditions permit. And and actually, if I was going back in time, I would say to Spots and I would say to Jimmy Doolittle, just chill. It's gonna be fine. That gap will come, just hold your nerve and, and, and take comfort that the longer you leave it the better the results will be.
0: But also you're confident in the fact that the, even if you leave it a, another couple of weeks, the, the, the Luftwaffe haven't got time to, aren't aren't benefiting from the same kind of replenishment and float. You know, it's this sort of boat being floated by resupply and uh, and the antidote to it. I mean, it's after all, in the, towards the end of the last episode, we talked, well, no, it was, it was about halfway through. <laughs> Our last episode, we will confess that this is meant to be part two of the last episode. But we found there was too much to contain. This the five points that Arnold says, you know, that we can take care of your attrition. We are now furnishing fully all the aircraft and crews to take care of your attrition. So the point is, wait and there'll be more. So don't worry about, don't worry about rushing. I mean, I I think it's very interesting because we... Well, uh, yeah, go on. Well, because we've often talked on the podcast about strategic momentum and how what you you know what you have to do is keep pushing because because you're committed, you know, which is a, a big part of the Italian how the Italian campaign pans out, doesn't it? The Allies are committed to Sicily, so they're inevitably committed to Italy, so they're inevitably committed to what they then end up doing. And this is an example of that. But actually, the way this works in a sort of peculiar way, the air battle is, is now like a naval battle, isn't it? Where you sally out with your fleet and hope to attract the attention of of the Defender's Fleet, isn't it? It's it's like a, an old-fashioned naval encounter in that regard. So you wait you, you wait for when the weather will favour you rather than just sticking the planes up and hoping for the best.
1: Well, yes. And, th- and the other thing that they would take comfort from, if only they knew it, but they don't, mm. is that the Germans are doing quite well destroying lots of aircraft all on their own without any help from the Americans <laughs> yes, at all. That's right. Uh, yes. And the staggering fact is that in January 1944, more Luftwaffe pilots are are killed and planes lost due to accidents and flying mishap than are shot down out of the sky. And obviously, in part, that's a reflection of the lack of action from the point of the of the Eighth Air Force. But it's also indicative of a Luftwaffe which is absolutely stuffed. It's losing all its its cohesion and it's losing its skill. And it is interesting that in the all of nineteen forty three just 12% of the Luftwaffe's pilots shoot down 90% of the aircraft, enemy aircraft. So you've got these you've got these experts and these aces who are still brilliant, and there are still some of them left in early 1944. But these are inevitably getting whittled away by the fact that the Luftwaffe treats their, their pilots so badly and just keeps them flying and flying and flying. So inevitably, you shoot down. I mean, we've talked about Heinz Knocker before, um, who's this, this, this staffel capitaine. Um, you know, squadron commander, and you know, I counted out. He was sort of shot down five times by 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 the middle of February 1944. You know, and, and literally sort of three times between October and January 19 October 1943 and, and and January 1944. I mean, it's literally every other time he goes up, he's sort of shot down. So so, and he gets away with it, but lots on. That's the point.
0: Well, and part of it is if you're fighting in bad weather, then things like icing and misting cockpit windows and guns jamming and engines misfiring and all that sort of stuff are all multiplied. So, I mean, the Germans are churning out fighters in vast amounts. Huge numbers. But the problem is, is there's a shortage of spares. There's a shortage of skilled ground personnel, because after all, you know, also tons of personnel have been drawn into anti-aircraft duty too. Into flat duty. So,
1: a- and also to fill new Falschmierger divisions and, and Luftlander divisions and, and Luftwaffe field regiments I and mean, all the rest
0: of it. September and December, the Germans lose 970 aircraft in combat. Uh, between, when, between when? September and December, they lose 967 yep. aircraft in combat and a further 1,052 to accidents. Okay, so
1: in February 1944. Yeah. Which were coming you know, which were just yeah, which coming is into coming. Yeah. Total, which which also includes the kind of operation argument. Total Luftwaffe losses of all types were two thousand six hundred and five, of which one thousand two hundred and seventy seven were enemy action, and incredibly one thousand three
0: hundred and twenty eight were due to accidents and other causes. Eighty percent of those losses in the West. Yeah. In nineteen forty two a German fighter pilot gets two hundred and ten hours training, and in nineteen forty four it's hundred and twelve. If they're lucky. So this is the point, is that the, and if you're trying to fight, it's more difficult fighting in winter. It just is. And it, yeah, and it makes, if you're a less experienced pilot, that's much more. Operational training is reduced from 50 hours to 20. Yeah. So, so, to so,
1: so, so, to so, so the big gulf is, is, and this is why it's fighter pilots, not bombers, that are the key to all this. So there is this huge quantitative increase in the and the numbers of the Luftwaffe, but a huge qualitative decrease, whereas in the Eighth Fighter Command, the, the the Fighter Wing of the Eighth Air Force, there is a huge quantitative increase and a qualitative increase, and that's a that's a winning formula. You know, that's that's the truth.
0: So about. what what looks like the Germans winning in the autumn of forty three is really is a kind of an illusion, really, isn't it? It's, it's the-
1: illusion. It's papering over vast cracks which are about to kind of break wide yeah, open
0: to the point where Goering, when uh, long range American fighters crash near Aachen, Goering says, "Ah, oh, they've been blown there by the wind, by the prevailing wind. They haven't got there. They haven't got there because of the because the equipment's up to it, because of technical adaptation. They're, it's a it's a freak occurrence. So they're, you know, as ever,
1: the commander-in-chief of the Luftwaffe is absolutely on the money.
0: It will his ability to accept accept reality. You know, it's done for. And the other thing is, is they're reliant on these destroyer aircraft, which are good, perfectly good for tussling with bombers." But when they're up against a manoeuvrable fighter, it's a different issue. So because because you've got one one and four tens. Well, we uh, talked
1: about Jim Howard in the last episode. Two of his his victories of those six were Me one one and one of them was a Ju eighty eight, if I remember rightly. You know, which is a bomber or a night fighter. Anyway, so there we are. So so they're waiting for the gap in the weather. January passes into February. February continues. There's still no obvious sign. There's an occasional clear day where they go off but like there's no consecutive days there's no kind of high pressure coming in that's going to kick out this fog give them some clear skies but you know this is my point by the third week of february eighth has well over 100 long range p51s it has two fighter groups now and it has and the eighth air force now has a thousand bombers it can deploy on any one given day not 230 not 315 like it had on the Schweinfurt 1 so so it is a, it is a definitely a kind of a, a blessing in disguise. I mean, you know, try turning that to do little spots. I get
0: all that. Well, I'll try that, telling that to any individual crew being, having having to go, you know, in, in shitty weather. and. Uh, but, anyway.
1: but also the other thing is, is the lack of flying also gives the crews a chance to kind of actually stay put on the ground for a bit. And, you know, every day they're waking up, the same number of people are in the Quonset hut or the or the Nissan hut, you know. So there isn't that kind of debilitating losses, which is gripping all the, the bomber groups. So from a morale point of view, things are kind of sort of, you know, it's, it's hardly swimming, um, but it's the graph yeah. is heading in the right direction. And then suddenly, in the third week of February, it looks like it's all going to be okay. There is a, the, the meteorologists come in and go, I think next week's going to be fine. It starts on Saturday, the 19th of February. Uh, and actually, Harris, um, who is so against all this, and who has been so so cussed and difficult about point blank and sort of getting, paying it lip service only, is given a three line whip. Uh, and and it's interesting as as it comes up to uh, Overlord, this idea that bomber command is subordinate to the aims of Overlord. You know, he constantly fights it, constantly fights it. But the, but one thing I would say about Harris is that when he's given an order and it's a bottom line, he sticks to it to the letter. Uh, and so. Leipzig is, they want to launch Big Week with a, with a double attack on Leipzig. And the idea about sending Bomber Command over to Leipzig on the night of the 19th, 20th of February is that the flak gunners will will all have been up all night hammering away at Bomber Command. And they'll be in pieces by the following day when they send over the 8th to attack it as well. So it's a very good idea. And they send up, the RAF sends up 823 Bombers. So the idea of sending the best part of kind of two thousand bombers over in a twenty four period. I mean, you know, you think again about those days of the Battle of Britain and summer of nineteen forty, and you know, the biggest formation on the Sunday, uh, Sunday the fifteenth of September, being three hundred aircraft, of which only a hundred were bombers, and twin engine bombers. It's it's it got my how things
0: have moved on. But that's the day of great crisis. It's quite it's quite extraordinary, isn't it? And, isn't and, it? And what on earth the Germans. Th- thought they, you know, what kind of critical mass they imagined they had that day, you know, with their light bombers and, you know, with their tactical bombers. Let's face it. It it shows in the end, though, that, you know, whatever Germany was able to achieve in 1940 with with its smaller resources, it takes a whole lot more to overcome them. You do need the sledgehammer to crack the nut in this instance. But
1: there's a very, very good there's a very good target here at Leipzig, which is the ATG ME109 assembly plant at Leipzig Mockau, which is just to the kind of, if I remember rightly, is to the um, to the west of, of, of Leipzig. And um, ATG has been completing about 130 ME109s a month. The Allies know that expansion is planned there, and the final assembly of Ju88s and Ju188s has all, already begun at Leipzig Mockau. So you know this is this is a very very good target, and you know it's pretty successful. Although they do lose 78 bombers. I mean, you know, just think about that. I mean, that's that's getting on for ten percent.
0: Yes, which is unsustainable. Even though I mean, even though the British are churning out bombers at a great rate, it's still you can't do you can't do that every night, can you? There'll be no one left in short order.
1: I'll tell you, one of the people who was on that raid incident, he was Rusty Warman, who sadly just passed away a couple of weeks ago. Oh, really? Over a hundred or whatever, but he was on that raid. He was a lovely chap. All hail to Rusty.
0: Yeah. But this, if, you're on the, if you are the German flat cruiser and you're on the receiving end of this, this is, this is a long day that follows because the, Sunday the 20th, the Americans put up 1,000 bombers and 660 fighters, 12 industrial locations across Germany.
1: They never, ever, ever hit one target. They have one priority target, but they do lots of different targets. And that's also to just completely scramble the defences and put maximum pressure. I mean, the, the Americans have a broad front policy on literally everything. And if and if you've got the numbers, let, let's let's bring them to bear in a kind of broader a way as possible. So yeah, so it, it's 21 US aircraft are lost, which which also I think I mean the interesting thing about, about about the 19th, the the bomber command one on Leipzig to start big week, is that 54 of those 78 are shot down by night fighters.
0: Right, it's, I mean it's interesting, isn't it? Flak is nothing like as effective, is it? So this is this is telling you that if you if you can strike at the fighter arm, then your things will go your way.
1: Well, and, and what it tells you is that daylight bombing is much, much safer if you've got fighters to protect you. Because if the fight, if your fighters can take on the enemy fighters, then you're laughing because your fighters are much better than their fighters. So, yeah, yeah, so they are yeah. going to win that fight. So yeah, then, you're, yeah. then you're, you're, you're just taking out a huge... Um, the message of air combat over Europe is that the fighter, fighter plane is absolutely key to the whole thing. And what you're seeing in this early part of 1944 is you're seeing that, that actually at night, bomber command can bomb almost as accurately as any American can in daylight. But that actually the original reason for fire, of operating at night, it's safer, is now no longer the case, is dwindling. Exactly. So, 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 so actually only 21 US uh, um, aircraft are lost, which is, you know, a much, much better Better story. But on that day, three medals of honour awarded to Eight eight Bomber Command. Um, and I thought, we, we can't go into lots and lots. Of, we haven't got time to do lots and lots of uh, lots of crew stuff. But I did think we should tell one story. Well, Bill Lawley's story yeah.
0: is absolutely amazing.
1: <laughs> Insane. Um, and this is him and his uh, Lieutenant Bill Lawley, uh, who's the captain of Cabin in the Sky 3, uh, part of the 364th Bomb Squadron in the 305th Bomb Group in the first division. He's 23 years old. He's from Leeds, Alabama. And I think we'll tell you his story after the break. Yeah.
0: welcome back to we have ways of making you talk we've left you with a something of a well not a cliffhanger there because um dramas, this story no. this is absolutely amazing and and, and again w- one of these things where you think how on earth can can a person do this and the fact he's tens of thousands of feet up in the sky when he's doing it as well it's quite extraordinary but also
1: Bill lawley so William lawley is is an extraordinary guy because he's just <laughs> he's he's so middle of the road it's not true yeah you know he's he's bright but he's not excessively so he's lean you know he's physically okay but he doesn't you know he's he's hardly a kind of beefcake yeah um he's just a quiet self-effacing minds his p's and q's doesn't rot the boat you know just a total kind of midstream kind of person there's nothing in his life up to this point that suggests that he is especially remarkable in any way just a really good solid middle of the road kind of guy so they fly over in with their crew in cabin in the sky which they christened back in the United States. When they get over to the UK, they immediately hand it over and say that's that. So when they then join the 364th bomb squadron, um, bomb squadron of the 305th bomb group, they get another one, which they then christened Cabin in the Sky 2. They then go on leave in January, I think it is, and another crew takes it out and promptly loses it, gets shot down, and that's that, I think on their first mission. So they've just that morning uh, or the day before got a new one Cabin in the Sky 3 is brand new, hasn't been painted up or anything. If they haven't tried it, they've literally barely taken out for a flight at all. Yeah. And then the target is Leipzig, and, and they're they're told that the flak is not going to be too bad because the flak crews will be exhausted off the RAF. The snow everywhere. Um they're told that they're they're targeting the same factory complex that Bomber Command did at Leipzig Mokau. That's the that's the, the target for the first division, the B seventeens. And they're carrying two and a half tons of bombs. And they take off and everything's absolutely fine. And they reach the IP, which is the initial point, the beginning of the, the bomb run, and all is going fine. They're they're in a tight formation.
0: That's where he hands over to the bombardier to fly the aircraft. Yep, uh, it, yep, yep,
1: yep. yep. Um, the bombardier is Henry Mason. And he announces over the intercom that the bomb bays are open. You know, the sort of outcome of the electric uh, hydraulics, which open the bomb bays. And Mason can see the target really clearly. And he presses down on the bomb release and goes bombs away, but nothing happens. So they go again, they try get he shuts the shuts the bomb bays again, opens them again, tries to rest release, and nothing's happening. Yeah. And this is your absolute worst nightmare. Basically, what's happened is the bombs have frozen in their racks. Yeah. Despite the weight. Yeah. They're so frozen, they just won't come loose. And the problem is, is everyone else is losing theirs. And the yeah. moment you lose those, of course, you're, you're lighter you're off. and you can climb and you're off and yeah. you can accelerate by 25 miles an hour, 25 yeah. knots. So suddenly everyone is getting ahead of them and they're losing formation and they're starting to lag. And just like a, a straggler on a transatlantic convoy is always going to be more vulnerable, absolutely the case with a, with a bomber. The straggler is the one that gets picked off. It, it just in any walk of life, just just as the straggler, wildebeest will get picked off by the hyenas. On the plains of the the Serengeti, yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly yeah. the Serengeti, exactly. Where <laughs> you see wild animals, <laughs> hyena, lion.
0: So Ooh, so basic. <laughs> so basically, <laughs>
1: stop it, stop it,
0: <laughs> stop it, Jim. They're falling, they're falling, they're falling back, and even though we've talked about yeah, how the, the most d- dangerous animal of all <laughs> is the Fw190 the 190. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. FW
1: 190 is the most dangerous beast of all if you're on a B17 flying fortress. <laughs> yeah
0: but but but, but 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 although we've talked about the Luftwaffe being um you know basically at its tipping point in the other other direction a swarm of Fw190s to a straggling bomber is very 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 bad news and they
1: very bad news is it's the worst it's the worst news of all
0: <laughs> it, it is bad. It is bad. It's, it's bad. not a good. So thing. bad. So so bad. So bad. So so, so bad. So bad. <laughs> yeah. All um, that. Uh, all that. <laughs> and um. And you know, it's kind of like an everything that can go wrong. This is a, a pure Murphy's law situation. Is it the bomb? Bomb racks yep. won't open, which means you get delayed. And if you get delayed, you're. N- I mean, o- although we've talked about how the, the you know the defensive bomber formation doesn't really doesn't necessarily deliver everything that's been expected for it. It's even worse if you're out of it, isn't it? Because then you're just defending yourself.
1: Yeah, yeah. Don't, don't get me wrong. I mean, absolutely it is. And actually, if you're in the middle of the formation, you, you're probably going to, you know, the chances are you are going to be okay. Yeah. It's, it's people around the edges of the box that are most likely to be hit. I mean, not entirely, but...
0: So the tail, gunner, the tail gunner doesn't see the form of FW190. Alfred Vent. yeah, Alfred Vent.
1: Because he's
0: blinded by the sunshine so the fortress ahead of them is hit falls away in flames there's flak bursting nearby shrapnel hits an outer engine outer engine catches fire
1: so suddenly a a bad situation has just got 80 percent worse because you you can fly even slower you know your speed is affected even more if you're only operating on on three engines rather than four and you still got your bombs i mean it literally couldn't be worse and so well, well. First of all, though, he, he talks to he talks to his his co-pilot because B seventies Americans they always have two pilots, two sets of controls, and his co-pilot is Lieutenant Lieutenant Paul Murphy. And he goes Go, right, get that onboard extinguisher straight away. And, and this does work, but 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 in the process of doing that, loses them yet more power and speed, and suddenly more fighters are homing in, and and, and the gunners along the you know the waist section and the the upper and the and the ball turret in the bottom are all calling out furiously. And then suddenly more FW190s, uh suddenly up ahead, little sort of dark specks which suddenly get bigger and bigger and bigger and glint in the in the afternoon sun, flashes from the gun ports, and suddenly there's a loud crack at the front of the plane, and Law- Lawley's vision goes completely black. A moments later, could have been a few seconds, could be a minute, he comes to to finds Murphy's body slumped forward, minus his head. So basically his his head has been blown off completely and blown to smithereens and there's
0: blood and debris all over the interior of the cockpit on the windscreen and everything
1: and just imagine the shock of that one minute you're talking to the guy the next minute his head isn't there and it's splattered all over the over the thing and, he, and there's blood absolutely everywhere and worse he's leaning on the controls so they're now in a, in a screaming dive because the. The weight of his body is pushed the controls forward.
0: With the second engine on fire, Lawley himself is injured. Is injured in the face and his right arm, so he's he's badly injured himself too. So as they go into this dive with a G-force gathering, a sort of screaming death dive, force him off the force Murphy's body off the second control column. Right? So was, with
1: his bad yeah. arm, he pulls him back, and with his other arm, pulls back on the controls, desperately trying to get it out of its dive. And amazingly. He does just start to get, get a, bit of, a bit of control. But at the same time, he, he thinks there's stuff, so he calls all the men to bail. He says, right, we're going to have to bail out. And Henry Mason lifts the, uh, the nose hatch to jump and navigator um, Henry Seraphine behind him. But before they jump, Lawley managed to regain quite a lot of control, and suddenly it's starting to level out, and it's sort of okay and actually emerging from the dive, and both the engine fires are out. So Mason clambers back back up into the cockpit and goes back to check on the men, and he discovers that two of the crew members are really badly wounded, uh, and there's absolutely no chance at all of them being able to make a jump. Yeah. So that then puts the burden of responsibility back onto Lawley. You know, if he's still thinking about jumping out, well, he can't because they won't be able to. So he's got to and and he is flying straight and level, albeit in a very, very badly wounded and stricken B seventeen. So he thinks, well, let's try and sort of let's see what we can do. But obviously now they're flying on two, not four engines. So he goes. He he, he, after that dive, they're quite low. So he stays quite low. Sub freezing winds howling through a hole in the windscreen. He's he's feeling faint because he's got lots of splinter wounds and blood running down his face. Shock
0: and everything. Yeah.
1: And shock and everything. I mean, just just absolutely horrendous. You know, Paul Murphy is still sitting next to him, headless. Yeah. With sort of gore all over the place. I mean, just it's it's a. You know, seen from a kind of the most horrible horror movie ever. And he, he ties Lawley
0: to his chair, doesn't he, with his Parker to, to stop. Uh, no, the but, body. Um,
1: Murphy, yes, yeah, yeah. Murphy, exactly. rather. He ties
0: Murphy, yeah, yeah. he ties Murphy to his chair to stop him stumping forward. Mason again, does with his this. Parker. Mason does yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it's yeah, just, yeah. well, I mean, <laughs> let's see if they get home, shall we? <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, well, well, quite. So the other problem is, is that, that when they opened the hatch, all Seraphine's maps flew out. Oh, for God's sake. So they haven't got any maps either, so they're having to navigate by compass and by memory
0: yeah
1: and, and just as they're kind of going across france they managed to get rid of the bombs that finally the bomb you know there's lower temperatures i suppose down at down at um closer to the to the to the ground and finally they drop the bombs in a field somewhere over france and then suddenly a whole load of more Messerschmitt 109s come towards them and they just think oh my god this is toast yeah but just at the last moment they turn away and obviously they they don't have enough fuel and they can see that this plane is absolutely stuffed anyway, so it's probably yeah. not going to make it. So they, they, it's not worth the risk. So that is one bit of luck. And eventually, they do manage to reach the Channel Coast. The only person, who, incidentally, who hasn't been wounded at all is, is Henry Mason, the, the, yeah. um, the, the bombardier. And they finally reach the Channel, and they cross over near Dover. And by this point, Lawley is so weak that he repeatedly passes out and uh, 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 mason has to sit with him and kind of sort of shake him out of his consciousness but 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 mason knows that um, but lawley knows he can't have any any um morphine because that'll do for him so he's got to yeah. fight through the pain through the exhaustion through the shock that the loss of blood and all the rest of it and feeling extremely woozy and by this point only one engine is working yeah and fight the aircraft yeah so they're flying at nearly fifteen hundred feet on just one engine. They cross over the channel. They manage to get over over the English coast. They're looking desperately for for an airfield, but it's it's no longer this is England, and so of course there's lots of cloud and mist and stuff, and they can't find it. They finally suddenly lawley spots an airfield, but it's too late. You know they haven't got the power and the uh, and the ability to 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 turn back for it. They have to just go in a straight line towards whatever airfield that they they see. And he's just thinking he's got one he's got one engine's feathered, another's windmilling, and a third is smoking. And he just doesn't have the control he can't to be able to do anything more than the slightest of turns. He certainly can't yeah. do a kind of, you know, one eighty or anything like that. So he's thinking, Well, I'm just gonna have to come down in a field. And then miraculously Manston appears. <laughs> but their radio is shot out, so they can't do anything. So the only thing they can do is just flash the emergen- emergency signal and hope for the best. And they come in and they get lower and lower and lower. And it's wheels up. They can't get the wheels down. It's a belly land, you know, which is dangerous in itself. Hit the ground, massive thump, grinding metal, bent, bent, you know, bent um, um, propellers and all the rest of it, screaming and smoking, jolting and juddering. But eventually it, it, it reaches a halt. And suddenly there are the uh, fire engines coming out around them. And the amazing thing is that Lawley manages to get off under his own steam, manages to get out of the out of the ship
0: himself. Yeah, it's incredible.
1: And they've made yep. it. And every single person on the plane survives the war, apart from obviously Murphy. Yeah, two are injured for life. Yeah, but they do all all make it. <laughs> and, and Lawley, we we're, we're I mean, talk about self-effacing. He goes, it was hair-raising. And it was exhilarating, and it was sad, and most any other descriptive term that could be applied to it because of the final results. I ended up with two permanently crippled men on board.
0: However, all did survive, other than the co-pilot. Wow, that's incredible. I mean, the, the thing is, I mean, what this illustrates is is even if the battle is, you know, even if the battle is going eight, going to go Eighth Air Force's way, you've still got that still going to happen. The crews still have to get in a plane and put themselves through the possibility of that kind of thing happening to them. It hardly bears thinking about it, doesn't the bare, it? The bravery and the endurance is absolutely extraordinary. Uh, and
1: so The sustained kind of sort of, I could die any moment kind yeah, of yeah. Yeah. sensation that would be going through your mind at that point. The other thing that's really interesting about that raid, that, that, that first full day of, of of big week, Operation Argument, is that Jimmy Stewart is flying in that day. He's in the second division because he's a, in a liberator.
0: Looks like we're going to go the boys. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, I guess we got to do what I we got to. do. Gonna...
0: <laughs> What's so wrong with patriotism? That's what I want to know. <laughs> What's wrong? with... That's what I, he said. He said just, something like that. I'll he,
1: try and do what I can. When he joined you know, up, he that. said
0: he said I don't see he said something like I don't see why people are so bothered with the idea of patriotism. Really interesting that he would be that on the that on the nose about it.
1: But on that mission that he's leading in his his wing Thirteen out of twenty-five are shot down. Good. So, I mean, you know, hats off to Jimmy Stewart. He probably did it. Yeah, he's seen his duty yeah. and done it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I think it is amazing. For the, you know, the, the film stars that go that basically, you know, he trades in I don't know a two thousand dollar picture career for um <laughs> for for the twenty-one dollars or whatever the, the the men are getting. You know what I mean? It's yeah, like, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I'm, I'm putting his ass on the line. <laughs> yeah. We should get back to... Um, we big, get week back to big week itself. Big week. Yeah, so that night, um, Bomber Command goes out again. 598 bombers attacking Stuttgart and 156 aircraft on diversionary operations. And the second day, Monday the 21st of, of February, USAAF, 8th Air Force, sends out 861 bombers again with fighter escorts. The target is the Luftwaffe Production Centre at Brunswick. Again, pretty yeah. successful. Tuesday the 22nd of February, bad weather, but raids continue although Nijmegen is accidentally bombed. Oh, well.
2: Didn't help Jimmy yet.
1: Gavin later on that year, did it? <laughs> um, but also, this is a point that the bombers from the 15th Air Force in Italy start attacking. Yeah. So um, they're, they're part of the picture. And Wednesday, the 23rd, operations also suspended um, due to poor weather, which is not good. But then everything's okay again by Thursday, the 24th. And this is 266 bombers of the U.S. 8th Air Force sent to hit Schweinfurt. Oh God. Three, Pozen, oh, God. Three. posing. and Yeah, but, but, but it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. They, they 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 get away with it. 900 bombers sent to attack a number of aircraft production centres, including Schweinfurt again. So, you know, 900 in total. And that night, 734 bombers of RAF Bomber Command also attacked
0: Schweinfurt. I mean, if you're in Schweinfurt, you're, you know. You're, you're thinking, having a bad day, aren't you? Yeah, will I it. ever sleep again? You're thinking. Well, well you are thinking, when, will when will this, this ever, ever end? end? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah 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 no, it's pretty bad 24th is a big big day and you know it it is a pretty successful mission it has to be said um, I mean, but is- but you know again a lot of these planes are planes are, are are getting absolutely hammered i mean i remember one of the guys i was writing about in big week a chap called jim keith who's in the
0: 389th he comes back with 300 holes in his ship you know that's a lot of damage isn't it yeah, that is a, that, well. Yes, exactly. But this is interesting though, because this is round the clock bombing, isn't it? This is the thing yeah. Ira Aker pitches to, to Churchill, basically a year previously, doesn't yeah. it? At Casablanca. This is it, and it's taken a year to get there. But they're achieving it. You've got, you. I mean, basically, you've almost two thousand on the Thursday, the twenty fourth of February. That's almost twenty, almost two thousand sorties into Germany. Yep, completely round the clock. You know, you've you've short days, long nights, and and you've more than a thousand American bombers during the day, and you know seven best half part of seven hundred fifty bombers from Bomber Command yep. during the night. The idea that this would not affect the Germans, the strategic bombing <laughs> campaign, is somehow <laughs> yeah. some kind of uh, annoyance for the Germans, rather than the absolute focus of everything for them on you know as a front.
1: Yeah, a yeah, no, yeah and, absolutely. Uh, uh,
0: and and you're striking hard at the sinew of of fighter production, which is like the after all, fighter production is the solution to this problem. If you're the Germans, having more fighter planes is how you how you respond to this. And then the 25th, another 900 bombers go to Reg- Regensburg, Augsburg, and Fort, and then bomber command send out 594 bombers to Augsburg. So, and that's it. That's it for big week. Argument argument is over on that Friday. But but bloody hell, you know what a week and. Um, and obviously this is different to a big thing like Gomorrah the year before, because you sort of can't you can't do that to Hamburg again, can you? You've you've done it. Yes, but, and but it's something di-
1: like twenty different locations that they hit over yeah. the course of the week. You have your big ones like like you know, Schweinfurt, Regensburg, um, yeah. Leipzig, Brunswick and whatever, but there's all these other these other places which are hit as well. Uh, and if you're if you're the German leadership and if you're German civilians, as you point out, I mean, this rate of round-the-clock bombing, this scale and and, and you know. Yeah. We've talked a lot about scale, haven't we, in, in yeah. recent weeks when it comes to the kind of American bomber effort. Here it is. This this is a sort of culmination of, yeah. you know, two years of building up to this, and or 18 months, certainly. And it's an astonishing amount. You know, the fact that you're yeah. flying 3,300 and sorties is a lot. 290 German
0: fighters shot down, 5, 90 damage. I mean, 226 Allied bombers lost. Well, yes. I mean, that's the other thing. Is it? It, is, it does start to the losses mount up, but it's the you know it's the the Germans who are the Germans who can ill afford to. I mean, and it's again. I mean, we talked about this before the U-boat war. Actually, it's the people you can ill afford to. Re, you can't replace the people you can build a build a machine quite easily. But if you have a deteriorating supply of people, and also obviously this kind of this kind of pressure in your airspace is very much treading on what training you can do, isn't it?
1: Let's be honest. Actually, now. it can't possibly. And the other thing is, it can't be three thousand three hundred sorties. That's got to be wrong because there's. 3,800 US sorties and 2,351 yeah. RAF sorties. So that's right. 6,000 sorties, isn't it? Yeah. And 500 yeah. sorties from the 15th Air Force as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, 10,000 tons of bombs dropped. I mean, yeah. that's a lot.
0: Well, for the Luftwaffe, Doolittle says what hurt the Germans the most was the deterioration in the experience level in their pilots. The Germans had lost an estimated 434... Pilots during Big Week, out of a total strength of about two thousand two hundred. So he's licking his lips at that. They retire the Zastora from bomber encounters because they know they know it's too vulnerable now. Which is a kind yeah. of a you know in a, in a way a repeat of a repeat of the Battle of Britain where the ME one like, oh one one oh like what do we do with this plane now? It's been rendered obsolete by the appearance of a you know decent fighter aircraft. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So if you include if you include the fighter sorties as well, it's nine thousand eight hundred twenty four. Yes. Sorties, and just for those who don't know, a sortie is an individual aircraft combat flight. So yep. that's not nine hundred, nine thousand, eight hundred twenty-four separate aircraft, because some of them might have done four trips or something. Yeah, but you know, the best part of ten thousand sorties is a yeah. hell of a lot. It's I mean, you lot, think what well, that looks lot. like? I mean, yeah, going over the
0: skies—that that's that's huge. One of the interesting t- statistics here is is that bomber command, you know. The Eighth Air Force and Fifteenth put a lot more. You know, they fly more sorties. Fifteen hundred more. They put fifteen hundred more aircraft into the into this offensive than the than the British do, don't they? So it's three thousand eight hundred, and yet they kind of drop the same amount of bombs.
1: And yet the RAF lose one hundred fifty-seven bombers, and the and the Eighth Air Force loses one hundred thirty-seven bombers. What that tells you is when you've got fighter escort, you're not going to get shot down as much. Yeah. yeah so yeah. so there's so many lessons to be learned from Operation Argument. But the first one is this is working because droves of german fighter aircraft are coming up to meet all these 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 bomber formations and american fighter pilots are meeting them and shooting them down and and, and in very big numbers when you've got protection your bombers absolutely can hit the target so the general idea of of that protective box that you're you're using is a, is still a sound one but just like a, a transatlantic convoy, you also need the escorts to protect yeah. you. Yeah. That's the truth of the matter. You can't do it on your own, just as you couldn't out
0: at sea either. And you can't do it with with close escort. You have to let the fighters do their thing, basically, don't you? You have to you have to let them go, as it were. You know the
1: damage and stuff is 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 really interesting. So. This is an Eight Fair Force spokesman. Since January the 1st, strategic bombing of Germany by British and American forces has reduced the German two-engine fighter production by 80%, single-engine fighter production by 60%, and in addition, 25% of bomber production has been destroyed. We believe we have fighter production down to the point where the Nazis can't keep up with the losses. We can't help but feel that Germany has lost her last hope of maintaining a successful defense. Well, yes. I I mean... And a lot of these big targets, like um, Leipzig MoCa, for example, seventy percent of the aircraft factories are destroyed. There's absolutely no question about that. Um, Seven hundred Me 109s have to be written off that are in, uh, that are being assembled or in yeah. production. I mean, you know, these yeah. are these are not small figures. American fighters lose twenty-eight fighters. The Germans lose over five hundred. So that's a ratio of eighteen to one superiority.
0: I mean, that's incredible.
1: Which tells you all you need to know, yeah. and reinforces the point we've been repeatedly making that. This is about, you know, the bomber war is about fighters. It's not about, it is about bombers, yeah, of course, yeah. but, but fighters are the key to understanding the whole thing. And yet, in March, German factories are still producing an impressive 2,672 planes. Uh, and, and by July, it's 4,219. But there is still a big gulf between planned production and actual production in the Luftwaffe. And the point is, and this is the really, really important point, is you don't need to destroy all the Luftwaffe to achieve the goals that you need for D-Day. Um, and this is what we'll be looking at in in the next episode.
0: You need to keep them busy to the point where...
1: You need to push them back. You need to push them back into the right. That's what you need to do. And what we'll be looking at in the next episode is what follows big week into the spring, the development of the air plan in the run-up to Operation Overlord, and, and then what happens in the arguments over what targets should be. And there is a kind of debate over this, up to D-Day and beyond
0: yeah and a, a debate between British boffins and American bomber men and all that sort of stuff there's a there's a bit of British boffin boffinry to be had in the next in the next episode I mean jim this but, is but, all... but
1: you know it's interesting because afterwards because the factories were still producing a large number of fighter aircraft the nair says go, well, you know big week wasn't all it's was cracked up to be it was a huge amount of effort and and you know didn't really achieve its goals anyone who says that it just doesn't get doesn't understand what they're talking about Big week is a massive, massive success. It, it really is because of the ongoing attrition of the best pilots. And what they're doing is, is that qualitative loss that the Luftwaffe is suffering takes a massive hit in that week. And I would say that the big week is, is, is the moment where the quality of the Luftwaffe dips so badly that it's irrecoverable. Yeah. And, and that's the big marker it's a, it's the qualitative standard of the Luftwaffe fighter pilots the, that's that's the the big deciding factor but but you know as you pointed out i mean 75% of your factory being hit and destroyed is not helpful at a time of total war
0: no it's just it's really really unhelpful and and you know people go look at what they were able to achieve in spite of it we think well what have they would what would they have been able to achieve had that campaign not been prosecuted the way it was exactly that it's absolutely fascinating all right, well, well, here we are. Five episodes down, got two to come, two to come. We promise you some uh, British boffins in the next one. Um, thanks everybody for listening. If you, I mean, if you've got this far in and you're you're happy to wait for the remaining two episodes, then that's up to you. But if not, you can subscribe to our Apple Podcast channel where everything's curated all in one handy bundle too. So our previous runs and on stuff like Dunkirk and basically this bottomless pit that is the Second World War and without adverts.
1: To. Yep. So you won't you won't hear talking about beer or me talking about diets that I'm or, not using. Or, or and...
0: impotence or whatever I've been made to talk <laughs> about. Um, <you> have to... <laughs> None of it. None <laughs> of it. To... I don't know why I get those ads. You'll have to deal with... You, you, I don't know why you, I get you, the you... diets one. I'm getting a bit paranoid. <laughs> Everything's curated and searchable on our Apple podcast channel. Or you could subscribe to our Patreon, which is... Um, if you go to the Patreon, there's membership for that. There's discussion on there. There's news, there's us doing a live cast every couple of weeks where you can uh, watch us talk um, like this and interact with us, which is which we, is the bit we, one of the bits I really love about this podcast is, is the fact that we have built up, if you're not part of this gang yet, what we call the independent company, listeners who are involved and part of the kind of the dialogue that has grown up around this podcast and the people who prod us into talking about subjects and raising stuff. And then also voting on which is the best general ever, which upsets people, which is part of the fun of this after all, is the debate and the disagreement as much as anything else. You've been listening to our fifth episode of The Mighty Eighth. Um, Thanks very much for listening. We will see you soon. Cheerio. Bye-bye.
1: Cheerio.